Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Thanks everybody for joining. And if you're not here in Montana, a lot of people I know are joining us from other places. Some of you have uh, already headed to Arizona or you live somewhere else. You're missing a lot of fun because we just got punched in the nose by winter. It snowed for like 36 hours straight. So um, all you soft people in Arizona, get sunburned or something. We don't. No, I'm teasing. I love you. So last week we started a series in Psalm 23. Here's what's behind it. I'm anticipating that the next month or something is going to be fairly interesting. It's already really challenging in our culture and our world. And we've got elections coming up. And I think there's so much complexity and there's room for so much anxiety. There is a passage of scripture that for 3,000 years now has helped simplify the relationship between God and human beings. It's helped ease some of our fears and anxieties, and it's called Psalm 23. It's 3,000 years old, and in multiple languages all over the world throughout history, people have come back to this psalm, and I think it's just the beauty, the simplicity of a man named David who is a king and a warrior, a general, an artist, and a former shepherd. And he says this, if I could describe my relationship with God in one way, I'd remember that I'm a sheep and he's the shepherd. And he's drawing on his own childhood as he operated as a shepherd. So last week we just looked at one line. And by the way, I'd love, if, if you can, memorize this. We're walking through it so slow right now. It's only like one or two verses a week. And wouldn't it be fun to be able to say, I memorized the whole chapter from the Bible. Some of you already have this, but it'd be a good one to have. So last week we just looked at the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'd like us to move on and look at these two really interesting concepts of he leads me, uh, to, makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still water. So let's read Psalm 23, the first three verses together. And they'll be up on the screens. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So David just lays it out, and now the rest of the psalm is going to describe this relationship. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So one of the challenges that we have when we come to the Bible is we're from... A specific culture and we have specific ideas and we don't mean it but we superimpose this into the text right and I don't know if there's another text where we probably have some pictures that aren't actually accurate um, more than this text it's, it's just we bring all this kind of our ideas of agriculture and our ideas of what green pastures are to the text what I'd like to do is just pause for a moment, look at this in context, and I think what we'll find is there's a deeper meaning. And wherever you're at in the spiritual spectrum, if you've, like, you've memorized Psalm 23, it's deep in your heart, or if you're brand new and you've just heard it referenced sometime, I think it's going to help you understand who God is and what our relationship with him is like. So I'm going to show you a picture, and I bet if you're like me, this is kind of my image when I think about green pastures. 
And that looks like a great place to be sheep, right? Look at that. It's just verdant and fruitful and green and peaceful. Here's the only problem with that picture. It's taken in New Zealand, which is verdant and fruitful and green. I want to show you another picture, and this is a picture of the Negev Desert in Israel. This is a picture where David grew up and where he was a shepherd. That's it right there. And actually, if you look at the middle of the screen, just to the right, you'll see a really large herd of sheep and goats. So if you go there today, and I've been, you'll find this is where sheep and goats are. Israel is so arid with just one main river coming through it, the Jordan River, that you would never dream of putting sheep and goats into agricultural fields because there's so little land, you have to grow your crops near the water and sheep and goats are relegated to this area. So in Hebrew, there's multiple words for desert. Um, one of them is an uninhabited desert. This is called midbar, midbar, which means inhabitable desert. And do you know how midbar is sometimes translated? Green pastures. That just kind of messes with my image of he makes me lie down in green pastures. It looks like David should have said, he makes me lie down in rocky, dry, cactus, prickly, uncomfortable, hot, baking in the sun pastures. Oh, what's going on there? I'll show you one more picture of the Negev. This is taken probably about 40 miles away from where David grew up. These are the hills. These are the green pastures that David led flocks through. So what is going on here? So he makes me lie down in green pastures. Number one, point number one is this, is David is saying, I have a shepherd who makes sure that I am rested and replenished. Rested and replenished. So rest is a really big deal for God. Okay, we underestimate this all the time. Because I don't know about you, but I like to see how like little sleep I can go on. I like to see how much I can get done. Projects, we've had like a mad rush at our house. We painted the outside of the house. And yesterday I was doing some things and it's snowing. And I'm like, I just need more time. God's always been way more concerned about rest than I am. In fact, he weaves it into the very beginning of the Bible. If you went to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, here's what God does. He says, we're gonna make, we're gonna create for six consecutive time periods. And then the seventh time period, the seventh day, here's what he says to human beings. He goes, this is the day that we stop and we rest and we reflect and we pause. And he says, we're gonna call it Shabbat. We translate it Sabbath. He says, this is how I want human life to go. I want you to be productive and do things for six days. But on the seventh day, I want you to cease from work. Because what do we typically do? We wrap our identity and our self-perception and our self-worth up with, uh, we wrap it up with our, what we do, we do. So we achieve, we feel better about ourselves. And God says, I want this regular flow that there's a Sabbath and one day a week you stop. And it's not about what you can do or what you can accomplish. It's about reflecting on the beauty of creation, on your relationship with the creator, on the relationships that you have with people in your life. 
to stop. God sets it up as a pattern. And then he has an ongoing pattern. He says, every seventh year, I want you not even to plant your crops. I want you just to take a year, every seven, where you just trust me that I'm going to feed you. What? Any, any farmers in the room? Like, that sounds like a terrible idea. And he says, oh, and even more than that, after you do that seven times on the 49th year, we're going to call it the year of Jubilee, where everybody's debts are forgiven, where all people who are in servitude are set free. It's like a new start. It's a reset button. God is very, very concerned with people being rested and replenished. In our world today, you guys, I, I don't know if any generation has faced more distraction and more busyness and it's not always work. It's, it's ongoing, constant entertainment. Um, look at a graph someday of when electricity became available to the masses. Our busyness just went through the roof. B because for all of human history, when the sun went down, you gathered around the one communal family lamp. And then you're like, oh no, we're burning a lot of oil. Let's all go to bed at 7 p.m. And let's wait till the sun comes up so we can do things. We can just go and go and go. And I think this psalm is precious and important to us because David says this, here's what my shepherd does. It makes me lie down in green pastures. I did 4-H in fourth grade. One thing I learned is you cannot teach any sheep tricks. You will never find a sheep that if you go, okay, lay down. They will not lay down. They just, they, they don't have that capacity. The only way that you can get a sheep to lie down is you take care of all of its needs. When it's satiated, when it's happy, when it's been fed, when it's had water, and when it feels safe, it will lie down. But if it doesn't have one of those three things, sheep will continue to mill around and make noise, and they're not quite ready. So this is what David is saying. My shepherd takes care of the needs in my life so that I can lie down and be at rest and pause. God is concerned about rest. He's concerned about human beings being replenished. I had a funny conversation with um, our middle school pastor. He's a great young guy, Mikey and, and Megan. They're having their first child coming up. I had lunch with him this week, and he was asking me about becoming a dad. And uh, he's like, well, what's it like? And I told him, man, I, I just love being a dad. My youngest is now 16. But I said, here's what you got to know. Like, read the books and then get ready for birth to be three times as violent as you, the books told you it would be. Like, just brace yourself, man. And then I said, and get ready to feel a little bit useless as a dad. Like, you just kind of feel like, I don't know what to do. And I said... And here's what you need to learn. You need to learn the baby burrito wrap because that's the best skill you can bring. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, when my daughter was born, she was, you know, fussy. And this old veteran nurse came in and she goes, watch this. And she was like that nurse where you're like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And she wraps my daughter up just like so tight, just arms to the side, wraps her up, gets her, just tucks it in like a burrito and hands the baby to me. And I'm like, she stopped crying. She goes, wrapper like a burrito. Yes, ma'am. And I perfected this skill for the next four children. It's like, oh, baby's fussy. I'm actually useful. Wrap tight. Put that baby. Why, why was the baby calm? Because this world was big and scary. 
and it brought comfort. Like something's holding on to me. God says, I want you to feel the sense of comfort. It's important to God. So I bring my own misunderstandings to this passage because I want to show you another picture. This is what I think green pastures should look like. Isn't that like, it's just adorable, isn't it? Look at you're like, oh, cute little sheep. Yeah. A little dandelion in the foreground. This is what you call belly deep resources. Just like, I don't even need to bend my head down because God is giving me so much. It's all about abundance. And unfortunately, we live in a very consumeristic society, right? Like it or not, it's a capitalistic, very wealthy society. And when I hear green pastures, I'm kind of like, woohoo, tons of stuff. Like, give it to me. Let me show you what things look like in the Negev Desert, in the green pastures. So the Negev Desert has virtually no moisture. There's about three months out of the year where it rains. And the only, where you, only place you will find grass is against rocks like this. It's on the shady side, north facing slopes. And here's what happens. Every evening the wind blows from the Mediterranean Sea and the wind picks up just a little bit of moisture. And the moisture, as it blows across the desert, the moisture gathers onto the rocks. And then once there's enough moisture on the rocks, it runs down, it trickles down and just moistens the soil. And so you know where you find grass in the Negev, in the Midbar? Against every little rock like that. This is the green pastures. And the emphasis isn't on abundance. The emphasis is on dependence. And David is saying, in the midst of my arid reality, I have a good shepherd who leads me from mouthful to mouthful. The average flock in Israel in the Negev Desert covers five square miles a day. Because there's just not enough food. That's in the green pastures. And here's what the shepherd does. The shepherd can read the landscape. The shepherd can realize those rocks would have accumulated enough moisture. There's going to be a mouthful of food for all of my flock in that hillside. And then we'll go to the next hillside and the next. And the emphasis is on this. God is my shepherd who will always give me what I need so that I can lay down, so that I can rest, so I don't have to be obsessed with producing and achieving and earning. God gives me what I need for the crisis. God gives me what I need for the day. God gives me what I need for the assignment, for the opportunity, for the challenge. He will always give me just enough. It's this ancient principle. If you went back to the book of Exodus, you have 100,000 plus, 200, 300, 400, maybe even 900,000 plus escaped slaves from Egypt. And they wander through a desert just like that. And you know what God gives them? Every day to eat, just enough. It was called manna. You know what manna means in Hebrew? Translated, it means, what is it? Because God said, I'm gonna care for you. Every day, I'm gonna care for you. I'll give you just enough. So they came out in the morning and this manna has appeared on the ground and they go, what is it? And that became his name, Mana. Like, hmm, what is it? God gave him enough for the day. So the emphasis isn't on abundance, it's on dependence. This is a God who says, you let me be your savvy shepherd. 
You let me lead you. And the focus isn't on belly deep resources. The focus is on the goodness of the shepherd that he knows where to find just enough for the challenge that you are facing today and for tomorrow. In fact, there's a, a rabbinical teaching that says this. Uh, uh, unknown rabbi said, worry is thinking about tomorrow's problems in today's pasture. Worry is thinking about tomorrow's problems in today's pasture. Secondly, let's talk about what it means to be refreshed. He makes me lie down in green pastures and then he leads me beside still waters. So what does still waters mean? Well, Sheep are uh, skittish by nature, and sheep are inherently afraid of moving water. They are. There's a couple reasons for that. One is, imagine if you had on a wool peacoat and wool pants, and you fell in the water. It absorbs water, you sink. Sheep cannot swim. And it's mainly just due to their, their wool, like it absorbs water. But also, remember that picture of the Negev Desert? You know what more sheep even today die of, and more tourists die of, more shepherds die of, than anything else in the Negev Desert? It's not venomous scorpions or snakes. It's not dehydration. It's not sunstroke. More life dies, sheep, shepherds, tourists, of flash floods than anything else in the negative. And here's why. There's a massive system of mountains that comes up from the Dead Sea. And you can have a storm when it does rain. It is a deluge. You can have a storm that happens 15 miles away. You'll never see a cloud and the water accumulates. There's nowhere for it to go. It rushes down and every year you still have entire flocks wiped out. Uh, one year when we were in Israel, a group of uh, 32 tourists were hit by a flash flood just wandering through one of these and 15 of them lost their lives. This is just not unusual. So sheep instinctually are skittish of moving water. They just know. So how do you get water for a flock in the desert? Well, these valleys are known as wadis. Wadis is the same word in Arabic. And after a flash flood comes through or any significant rain, there's little pools in the wadis, but sheep will still look at them and they're scared because they know what can happen. So the shepherd walks down, proving that it's safe, and they come to these little pools and drink. But eventually, these little pools dry up. You know what still waters are in Israel today? <laughs> You've got one river called the Jordan River. It's cisterns, shepherds dig holes in rock where they collect water from runoff, or in times, wells. And this is still waters. There's, there'll be, you'll still see a stone trough carved out. This is what a shepherd will do. He'll drop the bucket in, pull it up, pour the still waters into the stone trough. Could easily take you an hour or two hours to water your flock. And the emphasis here again isn't on the placid stream because there's no placid streams in Israel. All you have is the Jordan River. It's on a shepherd who understands where to access water. And the shepherd who will say, I will, I will serve my flock by giving them the water that you can't find on your own. Something I noticed this week, I've never noticed before, that both green pastures and still waters are plural. Uh, one of the things that I think David is communicating to us is this. 
This is a lifetime event. You're not led to the green pasture in the still water. And from that point on, you're like, I'm good. There's this journey of us following a shepherd through the midbar, through the challenging environment where we can't care for ourselves. And he provides the green pastures. There's gonna be times of abundance and there's gonna be times of lack. Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians. He says, listen, I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to be in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's gonna be a journey where there's times when I'm like, God, I am out, I'm empty. And he will give me just enough. And he will give me the water I need. Now, let's move on to the, the third and final portion of, of uh, what we wanna cover. It's restored souls, restored souls. David makes a statement. I think is 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 brilliant and and he's saying this. He's saying, God is not just the God who takes care of my physical needs, but he restores my soul. He's the God of the internal life not just the external life. So what is a soul? What is a soul? Uh, different cultures have defined it different ways, but it's, it's beyond green pastures. It's beyond resources, beyond physical needs. The soul is that interior part of our life. And it is so easy to have plenty of green pasture and plenty of still water, but have a parched, arid, dry, dead, decayed soul. We live in a culture where very few of us are worried about our next meal or our next drink. But we live in a culture where there's more anxiety and more fear and more damage to our souls than maybe we've ever seen before. Rise, the rise of anxiety, depression, all of those things. If there is a portion in this chapter, in Psalm 23, that we need, it's he restores my soul. Let me tell you just a little bit about David for those who aren't familiar with him. When he writes this, he is a king. He's an accomplished military leader. He has led battles. He is the, the epitome of masculinity. He is wealthy. But there's another part to David's life. David was a, a flawed man. David was given to bouts of depression, it seems, in his life. David at least pretends that maybe it was for real uh, about of insanity. David murdered another man in cold blood. David was a coward at times. David was greedy. David tried to hide his personal failure and he sat on it so that no one would know what he'd done for nine months pretending as if everything was okay. Here's what David knew. David knew what it's like to have a broken soul, to be filled with shame, to have a profound sense of failure, feel empty, feel like a fake, feel worthless. A depleted soul can be caused by worry, trauma or pain or depression or anxiety or betrayal, fear, addiction, 
relational chaos. The list just could go on and on and on. And here's what David says. What we want to understand about this shepherd is he's not only the God who will take care of my needs, always give me enough, allow me to rest. He wants me to be refreshed, but he will address the things that are hidden in my life, the brokenness of the soul, the decay within me. God is willing and able to address this. I don't know, it was probably 15 years ago. I took a a trip to Japan and I was walking through the Tokyo airport. I'd gone to visit several friends we had who had moved there. They had been international students. And I I saw uh, an arts case in the Tokyo airport. And it kind of sent me on a journey as I want to learn more about what I just saw. The Japanese have a form of art that they call kintsugi, kintsugi. And some of you may be familiar with this. I want to show you a couple of pictures. So Japanese culture, of course, is ancient. You know, we can trace our nation back a couple hundred years, but Japan has thousands of years of history. So kintsugi is this. It takes about 20 years to be approved to be a kintsugi artisan. And what you do is you take broken things and you put them back together. And it's this very, very elaborate process of a certain type of lacquer that is produced by both a bug and then Uh, tree sap. You mix it together and then you use gold, the finest gold dust imaginable, and you put the broken piece of art back together. And you don't hide what was broken. You don't hide the cracks and pretend. You don't try to make it look perfect. You don't try to restore it to its original intent. You take the history and you restore it. Let's show you one more picture. This is a, a, a vase. It was destroyed. So here here are two principles for Kentsugi art. Number one is you realize that the item is very, very valuable. Because if it's not valuable, what do you do? If you break a glass while you're doing the dishes, has anybody ever tried to put that glass back together? It just doesn't work, right? You're like, there you go. We throw it away. Why? Because I can get another one for a few bucks. These are pieces of art that maybe have been around for centuries. And you realize, no, this has intrinsic value. And we don't want to just throw it away. We don't want to start over. Like, there's history with this. Here's the second principle of Kentsugi. The former brokenness adds to the beauty of the restoration. The former brokenness. Rather than try to hide and try to pretend like everything's okay, no, no, let's acknowledge that this thing has a history. Let's acknowledge that it has been damaged. And let's repair it in a way where we actually highlight the healing. Where we say this has been restored and it tells a story. And what if 400 years from now, it's dropped again? And another artist puts it back together and the story is even more elaborate. Here's, Here's God's heart people. It's not just green pastures and still waters, but it's restored souls. And we can become so consumed with pretending like everything's okay, of of hiding in our cocoons of shame, of like, no, no, I've got it all together. That didn't affect me. And God, the good shepherd is saying this, just come to me. Let me restore your soul. What if 
the brokenness of your heart and the healing work of God could tell a story of grace, could tell a story of healing and renewal. The same God who says, I will give you enough. You never have to worry. I will allow you to rest. My demands on you are over. What if he said in the midst of this rest, what if we could take the gaps and the holes and the failure and the broken dreams? What if we could restore your soul? And the point isn't to eliminate everything that happened. The point is, see God's grace in restoring what was once empty into something whole and beautiful and real. Lord is my shepherd. Because of that, I, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And that's not about the abundance and that's not about how rich things are around me. It's this, is that he is such a skilled shepherd that he will always give me enough. He'll take me to the next thing that I need. And with all the anxiety that I feel and all the dangers that are out there, he leaves me beside still waters. He can access things that I can't find. He'll restore my soul. He doesn't want to just get me into eternity. He wants to put me back together so I could be the me he's always wanted me to be. And it's going to take work, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take effort, and there will always be a scar. But the scar can be a celebration of God's grace. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.